Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Previously on Who Killed Amy Mihaljevic. You know, the thing that scares us is this guy, uh, you know, there's a chance he's still out there and doing the same kind of thing. And he's probably, you know, the logical step to contact uh, girls of this age now is through the internet. Whoever we feel has factors and circumstances that make them an interesting suspect, that's who we'll we'll look at. And we'll go by circumstances and facts. We always let the facts drive it. And Torsney is is brilliant. You know, this is the guy that brought in Whitey Bulger. You know, so if anybody can solve this case, it's it's him and, and Spetzel. It is Thursday, November 1st. 2018. I'm on my way to meet James Renner for an interview with a possible lead in the Amy Mahalovic case. The weather today is about as dreary as you can imagine, 46, and pretty much sideways rain. So it's a pretty ugly day here in Cleveland. But uh, according to James, this is a potentially huge lead. One of the things I've been waiting on over the years is about 10 years ago, I found out that Dean Runkel had a storage unit in Vermilion. And uh, you may have mentioned that once okay. before in passing, but it was not something that you expanded upon. I went out there and spoke to the manager at the time, and I, I made him put input into the computer that they had my name and number and contact information because I knew that eventually Runkle was going to stop payment on that storage unit okay. and somebody was going to get it. And I said, I want everything that's in that storage unit. Well, tell them what you found. It was a photo album, pretty much, in with a box of books. And, and yeah, it's a photo album. There's his oh, car. Okay, look at that car. That's a Grand Prix or Grand Am that he was driving at the time in 89. There's the picture. What does that caption say? I'm the person that you're looking for. Or I'm the person you've been looking for. Yeah. <laughs> Is that coming out of Dean Runkel? Yes. What other reason would somebody have to finish that photo album? And on the last photo, put, I'm, I'm the one you've been looking for. I am Bill Huffman, and welcome to episode 13 of Who Killed Amy Mihaljevic, a slow burn media 
LLC production. On this week's episode, I will take a deeper look into what James Renner and I discussed last week, and we'll examine the suspect that he believes could have been possibly involved with the disappearance and murder of one Amy Renee Mihaljevic. Now, this has been a subject that has driven a bit of controversy just because of the fact that James has put his name on a suspect and authorities have yet to name anybody as a person of interest. So with that note going forward, uh, please advise that, you know, these are just opinions and they are based on what James has researched over the years. And uh, it's up to you, the listener, to make your own conclusions on whether or not you think this person could have been responsible for killing Amy Mihaljevic. Your number one suspect is... Well... And why? Yeah. (laughs) So I'll, I'll say this. So back in 2000, I think 2000, back in like 2007, 2008, I made contact with a retired FBI agent from uh, Cuyahoga County. And he's, he told me, he's like, look, I've been investigating a suspect and he's by far the best suspect we've ever had. And he's not somebody that you know about yet. He said, so if you find some if you find this guy's name, you're going to you're going to know that this guy's interesting. And when you find him, um, I can't give you his name, but if you find him, come to me and and we'll talk. So I'm like, wow, who is this guy? And, you know, because of my articles with Cleveland Scene and the Free Times, people would email me tips and, and names of potential suspects. So. I'd gather like a dozen of of these names every once in a while, and then I'd call them up and I and I'd say, "Okay, is this person f- familiar to you? And is this the person you're talking about?" And I'd just go down this list of twelve names. You would call the suspects? No, I would call uh, the the this oh, retired FBI agent. Gotcha, gotcha. Because gotcha. he said, when you get the name, uh, you know, I, I was like, it's like are you calling up the suspect. Yeah. Hey, did you kill Amy? Oh right. no, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Although it's it's interesting how many of them want to talk about it. Uh, the fact that they're suspects, you would think that they wouldn't talk to you at all, but uh, most of the, the majority they want to talk. Uh, I don't know why. Um, so, um, so I would call him up and go through these lists of names because he said, if 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 you ever give me the name, I'll 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 tell you it's right, but I'm not going to give you the name. So it's this weird cloak and dagger stuff. So, um, I did this like three or four times and. It became routine. So eventually one day I'm just reading off these names like it's, you know, the same thing we did every day. You know, is it this guy? No. Is it this guy? No. Is it this guy? No. Is it this guy? And then he doesn't say anything. And so I say, is it this guy? And he doesn't doesn't say anything anymore. And I said, would it be helpful if I looked into this man? And And he said, yeah, it would be. So I hung up the phone and immediately really, you know, looked into this guy's case. Originally, it was a a student who said, I think you should look at my teacher, Dean Runkle, from uh, Amherst. And uh, so I started looking into Dean Runkle. And uh, did he have any reason to, like, 
he just always had a feeling that um, that he was involved. Uh, that back in '89, when they released the composite sketch of Amy's abductor, this student saw the sketch and he said, "Oh, wow, that's my teacher. That's that's Runkle." And he told his parents and and uh, and you know he said, "So so look into this guy." But a lot of people look like the sketch, you know. But what is it about him that made him so interesting to the FBI? Well, it goes back to those women that, that were called from, well, they were girls at the time, in, in North Olmsted that were called by Amy's killer. And one of the ways in which they were all connected was the Lake Erie Nature and Science Center in Bay Village. And um, the FBI agent that I spoke to believed that Dean Runkle had volunteered time at the Nature Center and would have been there to see the, the girls' names and, and phone numbers on that logbook and to like kind of, you know, scope these girls out so that he could call them later and try this routine. And uh, he actually called uh, a woman that Runkle worked for in 87. And she said, yeah, he was raising mice in the back of this convenience store in uh, New London. And he would take the mice, when there got to be too many, he'd take them up to the nature center in Bay Village and they would feed them to the snakes. You know, how's that as a as an image of a, a you know, of a creepy dude? Yeah, snake guy. So um, I looked into his background and it's very odd. Um, first thing I found was that he grew up about a mile from where Amy's body was found in the middle of nowhere down in Ashland County. And it is in the middle of nowhere. It is. Um, and if you're from there, you know that County Road 1181, where they found her body, is kind of the perfect place to dump a body because you can do it in the middle of the night. There's no houses around to see you. And if any car comes along, you're going to see their lights in the distance, and you have a, a good three minutes to get out of there and never be seen. So it's just it's it's a perfect place. So you would almost have to be from that area to know that. Yeah, what was it, 2007? Or no, it was 2008 when you and I went down there on the anniversary. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it is in the middle <laughs> of nowhere. You know what's funny is uh, my my memory is... You don't even remember that? I don't even remember that, man. Yeah, so we met at Bay Square okay. that day, and then we I followed you down okay. to County Road 1181. Wow. And uh, you had a lot going on at that time. I mean. I'm sure. I, mean, I think you, that was around the time I was losing my job I, or something. And I was about five weeks away from losing mine because <laughs> <laughs> I got laid off time. about two weeks before Christmas. No, wait. That's so funny. Um, yeah, my, my, my memory is, uh, is shot for, you know, um, anything that's not like the details of these cases. Oh, yeah. Or, or, you know, luckily, the details of, of my family and kids and things like that. Well, I so. have video of it, so if you want Oh, to, do you? Yeah, I actually have to... Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so you'll be oh, like, oh, gosh, that. I don't remember that, but <laughs> I guess I was there. That's funny. <laughs> um, so... So Runkle lived, and you... You lived right there. Um, you know, and, and every day... Runkle has a compulsion. He, I, th- I believe he has several compulsions, but one of them is running and walking. He has to do it routinely every day. And uh, every his route was uh, he'd do these like speed walking 
um, even in the middle of winter, and it would take him down County Road 1181. Mm-hmm. People saw him every day. and in the, So he was walking past that body every day. Think he was a trophy? I think he was just waiting for somebody to find it. And maybe, mm-hmm. you know, um, and I'm not saying 100%. I want to make this clear. I'm not saying 100%. That I know he did it. Right. I am saying 100% that Dean Runkle is a dangerous man. And that's because what I eventually come to discover is that he had had been investigated by a number of schools for improper relationships with students. He wrote a note to um, this prepubescent boy that was in one of his classes uh, asking for a blowjob. And this boy was kind of his his special uh, right hand, you know, teacher's pet type of thing for a while. Um, it's real. It's real creepy stuff. He was originally so he was grooming. Yeah, he's grooming. He was originally a teacher in Vermilion, um, and he taught there for I don't know fifteen years or so, and then that's where he met this boy that he was grooming. Um, and around the time that that boy became uh, an adolescent, when he hit puberty, um, and kind of cut off, he cut off the relationship with Runkle. It looks like uh, at that moment, Runkle stopped teaching there. Uh, he also paid this kid. He put like $5,000 in into an account for him. So um, he quits teaching and then wanders the country for two years. Um, and he, before he leaves, he tells people that he's dying, that he's contracted this rare disease that he says he got from um, scraping his, his finger on a piece of coral. So he leaves school, and where did he go from there? I mean, did he just kind of disappear? So uh, he wanders the country for a couple years, um, ends up working for a time uh, as a ragtime piano player at both Cedar Point, I believe, um, but he also worked at Disneyland. And this is where I'll bring up Linda O'Keefe, which is the unsolved murder in 1973 that was reported in Newport, California, which would have been uh, not too far from where Dean Runkle would have been working in Disneyland. And again, that case has been unsolved for nearly 40 years, and we do know that he was living in the area during that time. So he's constantly always around, always around kids. Very good with the ragtime piano. Um, And then he comes back to town, and he starts um, raising these mice in the back of this convenience store. Uh, and going up to this nature center. How does he end up at Amherst if he's living all the way down in Ashley? That's where he ends up getting a new job teaching. Okay. What's interesting about that is he never actually had a teacher's license. Um, he had originally been hired as a, uh, as a long-term substitute, and then they kept him on. And then Amherst, I don't know if they didn't check through it or what, but they gave him a job teaching science there. Um, even though he didn't have a, 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 a specific – he probably had a license to teach, but he never, he never was officially a teacher you know, um, through the state of Ohio processing or, or, or however it works there. Um, so, but he's building up. He works for the state you know, for these public schools, and he's building up a pension, right? And he's one year from retirement in Amherst, and uh, they changed the law in the state of Ohio – for the first time, every teacher has to be fingerprinted. What year is this? This is, I think, 2003 or 2004. Okay, so well after. Well after. And uh, and he freaks out. 
And, you know, he writes to the principal. He's like, I'm not giving – he's like, it's ridiculous that you guys would want my fingerprints after teaching for 29 years. I'm not doing this. And he was so afraid to give his fingerprints that he quit with, you know, one year short of retirement. Um, and then he – and and it's at that time that uh, this retired FBI agent starts to wonder if maybe it is him because of his connection to the Nature Center. And for the first time, he's – He's on the radar of the police, and they start interviewing these girls from North Olmstead. They start interviewing his principal they and people that knew him, and they find out about this kid that he was was writing to, these love letters to, and Runkle disappears. And for months, nobody knows where Runkle's at. And then um, the FBI get a hit because Runkle pawns um, – I believe it's a watch, but he pawns something at a pawn store in Key West, Florida. Now, One of my favorite place. <laughs> Key, it used to be. Uh, Key West is as far from Bay Village as you can get without leaving the United States, the, right. the, the contiguous you know, United States. He's running from something. He doesn't want to give fingerprints. What is it? Now, um, the police and the FBI go down there, and they bring him in, and they set him up in the back of this Chinese restaurant. And they ask him to take a uh, lie detector test. And they, they talk to him for hours and they try to break him. And he swears because the key to this is if he was at that nature center, they believe it's probably him. But he says he was never at that nature center. He That's what he told them. He's like, I wasn't there. And 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 um, Spetzel and a couple of other agents or a couple other police um, officers have told me that they don't believe it's him because he wasn't at the nature center. Now, I have – a dozen of his former students that say he would give extra credit if they would go to the nature center, that he knew about the nature center, that he was down there, that he was feeding the mice to the, the snakes, that he was connected to that nature center. And so uh, eventually I had to talk to this guy. And on my own dime, I flew to Key West, Florida. And in my mind, I figured I'd never been down there before. Key West is an island. It can't be that big, right? <coughs> Little did you know. <laughs> Key West is huge. <laughs> yes. You know, it's like looking for a specific person on Key West is like looking for a needle in a haystack. Yes, and it, it is. It's terrible. So, um, but some weird things happened down there. When I first got there, the first place I went to was a Wendy's. And I went in there because I was hungry. I grabbed a sandwich. And, and I remember sitting in the parking lot thinking, James, this is so stupid. Why did you come down here? You're never going to find him. And it was almost like... There was this like darkness, this this negativity. Like, what are you doing here? Get out of here! You're 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 wasting your time. You should be with your family. And I'm sitting in Wendy's eating this sandwich. So uh, the next morning, um, I go up and down the main strip there, and uh, trying to find Runkle. And I, I've got a picture of him. I'm showing around and um, walking up and down Duval Street. Exactly right. Bumping yeah. into all the drunks. <laughs> yeah, and uh, um, I end up. Uh, a couple people said that they recognized him as this he, – He's. they're like, yeah, he's the guy that plays the ragtime piano for this this bar down the street. And I'm like, yeah, that's him. He's he's the ragtime piano guy. Um, and I went there, and uh, he had stopped playing like you know a couple months before that, but nobody knew where he was. And um, he had been homeless for, for a while down there, I knew. Um, and there's a big homeless community on at Key West. So yes, I went to the homeless shelter. And uh, started asking around. They're like, well, if anybody knows uh, people that were homeless on the island, it's Mr. Frisbee. You should talk to Mr. Frisbee. I'm like, who's that? And, and they're like, well, it's the guy that 
you know, throws the frisbee on the beach. So I go to the beach, and there's this guy that literally is, is throwing. He throws a frisbee, and then he runs and catches it. He he plays frisbee with himself, and he's Mr. Frisbee. He's an eclectic. Place. Yes. So I go up to him. I'm like, "Have you seen this guy?" And he's like, "Oh yeah, that's my buddy Dean, Dean Runkle." And I'm like, "Do you know where I could find him?" He's like, "I don't know where he's living, but he's probably at work." And I said, "Where does he work?" He said, "Wendy's." So I go back to that Wendy's, which is the first place I stopped at on the island, and uh, um, he's not there. And I asked the manager on duty, I'm like, uh, uh, what I did was I, I said, hey, I'm a former student of Dean Runkle's. Um, I'd really like to talk to him. I came all this way. Um, do you know how to reach him? She's like, oh, honey, I'll, I'll look up his contact information in the in the files. She goes back there, and she comes back, and she's like, this is weird. Um, first of all, he didn't list a phone number. There's no number here and no no address. Um, and he was supposed to work today, but he called off. <coughs> so like I said, this case, you never catch a break. So uh, <clears throat> so I, I go driving. You know, At this point, I have an hour before I have to drive back to Miami to catch the flight, or I'm going to miss my flight. Right. And I'm like, man, I'm not going to find this guy. So I... I'm driving around, and I come to the stop sign, and I'm just frustrated. And, you know, I'm a lapsed Catholic. You know, I, I went to, you know, Christian Academy, and uh, but I hadn't prayed in years. And whether you call it a prayer or just a message to the universe or just, a, you know, asking the universe for help, I, I you know, I, I thought to myself, I, I said, you know, if somebody's listening and if it's this guy, I've come all this way, help me find him. And I swear— to God, at that moment, Dean Runkle walks in front of my car at the stop sign. He's instantly recognizable because he looks so much like the composite sketch. Even <clears throat> 20 years Even, later. Yeah, yeah. so um, I quickly go past the stop sign and pull, pull over and park on the side of the road and jump out. And I go, Dean! And he stops and looks back at me, and I, I jog over to him. And I say, I'm James Renner. And oh, No, no, I say, uh, do you know who I am? <clears throat> And he said, uh, you're James Renner. He said, my sister told me that you've been calling and that you might come down here. And I said, yeah. So we, we stood on the side of the road there, and we talked for about five minutes. Never in the course of those five minutes did he say, I did not kill Amy Mihalovic. And I bluffed him. And I said, because remember, um, the, the police believe it, it, was, it, <clears throat> it was probably him if he was at that nature center, but he swears he wasn't there. That's what they thought. That's what they thought. They told me. So I, I bluffed him. I said, hey, what would you say if I told you that I have in my possession a picture of you with one of your students at the Lake Erie Nature and Science Center? And he thought for a second, and he said, I never told the police I wasn't there. I only told them I don't remember being there. He's He's built a narrative that allows him not to lie about it, but... <clears throat> you know, feign that he wasn't. There. He was. He was there. He was connected. And if if he was there, why why is he lying about it? What other reason does he have to lie about it, other than if he was somehow involved? I don't know. Um, so that was the extent of it. Um, did you ask him if he killed Amy? I did. Um, and he just wouldn't say no. He I forget what he said, but he wouldn't say no. Um. So uh, I knew that nobody would believe that story. You know, who would believe that story that I sent this message out and he walked in front of my car? 
So I had to get proof. So I doubled back and I got my camera and I, I, he, cause at that time he was going to go on his, his daily walk, but I had flustered him so much. He was heading back to his apartment. So I lined up the shot towards where he had to enter and I would be able to get his face. And I knew only had like one or two shots to get it. And, uh, he comes walking around the corner, and I and again I yell, "Hey, Dean!" And he looks up, and I I snap quickly. I snap two pictures, and uh, one of them came out, and um, it crystal clear, no doubt about it. You know, so that's what I showed the the police when I got back. And what did the police say when you got back? We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse, carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see, we could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Um, you idiot, don't fly to Florida and question one of our suspects. Uh, but um, the the retired FBI agent was very, you know, in his mind, after that conversation, that... That made it, you know, he was pretty darn sure that that uh, that it was Dean after that point. I was actually in Key West two springs ago. Yeah. Actually went to that Wendy's with the intention. Was he of, still there? No. I, do you know where he is now? Is uh, he still in Key he, West? He was um, getting, you know, that apartment I, I tracked him back to and got the picture um, was actually, it's part of their homeless um, shelter program because... Um, if you're uh, if you're homeless on Key West for, and and you stay out of trouble for a certain amount of time, they'll put you up in an apartment that you're, you're only supposed to be at for a year while you get yourself on your feet. He's he'd been living in that apartment for like six years by then. So last I heard, um, he was actually working for the homeless shelter uh, as one of their top people. And this uh, this woman, I was contacted by one of his coworkers there. They're like, you got to hear this. Um, this this woman came in and. Uh, found out he was still living in, in this homeless shelter, things that he, he was doing he wasn't supposed to be doing. And she was, you know, by the book, and, and she took over his office and, and kind of was showing him the door. And um, they're like, you know, Dean Runkle was always, you know, he's so nice when he comes in. He's so proper, he said. But there is the one day where he just, he got, you know, this this woman did something that upset him, and he said, his mask came off and you saw this other thing inside of him that was just this rage monster. Um, and it scared everybody. So, um, you know, he can fool people for, for a while, but whether or not he, he, he is the one that we're looking for in the Amy Mahalovic case, you know, I don't know for sure. He's in my top three suspects, but he's a dangerous man. How old is Dean Runkle at this point? I think he's like in his sixties, but he's he's stayed fit. Okay, you know? he he he's fit. Um, but and and there and we're only on the the tip of the iceberg here, you know, about reasons why, you know, it might be Dean Runkle. I mean, there's you know he was investigated a number of times inappropriate relationships with students. He was found um, in parked cars with alone with students. One of the reasons, again, that the police don't really like him for it um, sometimes is that, you know, uh, you know, they, they've told me they're like, look, he we know he was into boys. You know, why would he be into girls, too? 
And what they don't understand is, and what any FBI profiler would tell them is, if the adult's interested in prepubescent boys, there's no difference in his mind between boys and girls. It's only after they hit puberty that they would pick a, a you know a boy or a girl. In their mind, if they're interested in prepubescent kids, it doesn't make any difference to them. And in fact, we know that a number of girls from his classes have contacted me and said that he used to touch them. Did you do a FOIA request for his Amherst records? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And was he working the day that she was kidnapped? Um, I believe he was, but their day ended early enough. That, that was what he... I was always wondering, if there would be enough time <laughs> to get from yes. Amherst to Bay Square. Yeah. And he would fall into the fr- the perfect criteria. He also had keys to that school so that he could have gone uh, – that he could have been in the school, you know, overnight that weekend. Weirdly enough, he was actually sleeping at the school at that time, and they, they kind of knew about it and let him get away with it. He had a, a room attached to his classroom that he would uh, set up a cot and, and sleep there. Um, yeah, weird. Weird guy. Yeah. Uh, so um, I think he, somebody like this can just compartmentalize, you know, and, and shut that out. And, you know, one of the ways you can do that is to – Tell yourself you, uh, you know, well, I don't remember. I never said I wasn't there. I just don't remember. And so I said, you know, what else don't you remember, Dean? What else are you telling yourself you don't remember? A lot of the people that, um, you know, when when you look for killers, you look for somebody, one way that they can live with themselves is to find other compulsions. Sometimes those compulsions are obsessive exercise, where if you're exercising, those voices in your brain telling you that you're an awful person because you killed somebody. You know, that's one way to get them to go away. Uh, another way is religion. Another way is alcohol and drugs. So that's what you're looking for when you find suspects, somebody that's deeply involved in one of those activities. You know, like Vern Hartenberg, who uh, became evangelical. Oh, is that what he ended up becoming? Mm-hmm. If he's a murderer, how would he be able to be a murderer and a teacher? Well, whoever whoever took Amy, we know, is good with kids. Okay. This is somebody that can talk a kid into anything. You know, getting into a car with a stranger. Um, uh, So we know there's that. How can you be a teacher too? I think people like this are really good at compartmentalizing. And um, I think whoever it was that that abducted and killed Amy, I don't think they meant to to murder her at first. I, I, I don't think they knew what was going to happen. And they wanted to see how it would play out. Maybe they had other ideas of, of how it might play out and only went so far in their mind as the abduction. I don't think the murder was planned. I think she freaked out and he reacted out of fear and rage uh, and killed her. Um, that's why I think whoever killed her probably never murdered again, which is very rare because I think what we're looking for is not necessarily a murderer but a, a serial molester or, you know, a rapist of, of some sort. But then you get into these weird coincidences, like the day that the Mihaloviks moved into their house in Bay Village was the um, 30th anniversary of the Maryland Shepherd murder. The other most notorious right. Bay Village crime, actually one that spawned multiple right. <laughs> television shows and movies. And here's, it gets a little weirder because... Uh, you know, the only real witness to what happened 
with shepherds. You know, is it Sam? You know, did Sam kill his wife, Marilyn? Was their son Sam Reese Shepherd, who was asleep in his bedroom uh, next to where she was murdered? Um, Sam Reese Shepherd, after the murder, leaves Bay Village, does not come back to town until October twenty seventh, nineteen eighty nine. No, the way. day that I swear to God, the day that Amy's taken. Um, he was giving a speech at the city club that day, uh, at about the same exact time that Amy was abducted. He had come back to town to try to get the police to reopen his father's case. And that news story was kind of buried after that because the leading headline was this other new case that happened in Bay Village, this abduction of this girl. So, yeah, isn't that nuts? Like those two cases kind of intertwine with each other. Even the chief of police can see the irony in having two national stories hit a city with a population of just under 16,000 people, and one that is widely considered very safe. It's rather ironic, isn't it? I mean, you know, we're a community of roughly 15,000 people, yet, you know, you would think it's far more than that. But it really is what we think it is. It's a quiet, safe community, but... Bad things can happen. Yeah, bad things can happen anywhere. It's happened, you know, we've obviously had our share of homicides and other things happen, but as far as prominent stories, to have two major prominent stories come out of this, you know, place in 60 years, it's kind of crazy. Add on top of that that it occurred in a city that is often considered one of the safest in Ohio, where people come to live because of the safety and the good schools and the you know, proximity to the lake, and it's kind of like their little, you know, isolated, secure environment. And then to have something like that happen in that makes it even more abnormal. You know, abnormal. So. I think you put all those factors together, you've got this high level of interest, you've got this high level of, we can't allow that to happen uh, because this is where we feel safe and you violated us and we need to do something about it. Um, So I think all those factors going together are are what drives this case and continues it on and and, and motivates people. Plus, again, 10-year-old girl. Here is Special Agent Phil Torsney on the importance of finding closure for the community. Yeah, uh, yeah, for for Mark Mahalovic and the Mahalovic family, and uh, and and I think uh, just in general, these cases need to be figured out. You can't uh, you can't ever walk away from these things, even no matter how many years it is, and and that's why I feel like I'm privileged to be able to still work on it over these years, and uh, and I'll continue to help. If you know what. If one of these detectives or somebody calls me and asks, you know, wants me to help, I'll be happy to help no matter what I'm doing. And I think almost anybody uh, would be like that on a case like this. And uh, so, yeah, really, the public's a big part of this. And, um, yeah, something, anything somebody knows that could really, they've been sitting on or it's not an issue. Call us and let us know. I mean, do you feel like Torsney's doing as good a job as he could, or yeah, I mean, I do. do you feel I, like there's been progress since your books? I mean, obviously there's more suspects and, you know, things have changed. I mean, do you feel like the case is closer to a finish line than it was before you wrote the book? I think every day gets us closer to the answer. My 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 fear is that, because I, I know in my heart of hearts that this case will be solved one day. My fear is that it will be solved after the killer has died and he won't face any sort of justice. Um, I don't want that to happen. And to reiterate what James has just stated, 
the fact that we are 30 years away from the actual crime, it is getting close to the point where this individual, this suspect, may be getting close to a possible deathbed confession. I know that Chief Spetzel had mentioned that that would be one of the possibilities for possible resolution within this case. So it is important for the public, if you have any, any information about this case or about the suspects that you may think are involved, please don't hesitate to call. Special Agent Phil Torsney had this to say in regards to the public calling in tips. Because if, if somebody's got something, I don't want them to be, we want to get it, we want to get it. Yeah. And uh, little things mean a lot in a case like this. It's a big puzzle and a little piece could fit into something we already know. We know a lot uh, about what happened and we have a lot of information about a lot of uh, possible uh, uh, perpetrators and that kind of thing. And, and we're uh, with science and some of this other stuff, we're trying to make it happen. And we're going to continue to do that. I did ask Special Agent Phil Torsney how important it was for the public to still provide tips on an old case such as Amy Mahalovic's. And this is what he had to say. Just because something's in the media doesn't mean it's correct. And we have information that's uh, the general public doesn't know and the media doesn't know, and it's, it's in-house here, uh, you know, at, in law enforcement agencies, the FBI, and the prosecutor's office. And uh, um, that's why we take information, and we don't want anybody to assume based on prior, um, prior publications or media things that have been put out there that this case, uh, that that this thing has been resolved because somebody said it's been resolved or thinks it was this person or that person. We want the information because all that's ongoing investigation. And uh, we could take some new information, not focus on uh, certain areas and take new information and solve the case that way. So with all the current news and attention given towards the Amy Mahalovic case, it was one of those questions that I had to ask, and I've probably played this clip before, but this was Chief Spetzel's response to the question I asked in regards to whether or not we are closer to a resolution today in 2018 than we ever have been before. Um, that's a great question. It's really hard to say because, again, I, the cases evolve, right? And cases grow. So they're not the same size as they were back in 89. This case is as big as it's ever been with more names, more suspects, more interviews, more everything, um, more resources. So it's hard to say that because there's more resources being involved that we're closer. I can say that we have a better perspective on the case because we, you know, as we analyze it and we talk to people, you get a little bit of clarity, but we're nowhere near having the clarity to solve it uh, without some more information. As this week's episode concludes, I wanted to play a clip from Chief Spetzel's interview where he discusses what he would say to the killer if he had an opportunity. Hey, come on in and see me. Come on in, let's talk about it. You know, here's, here's the thing. I believe that the person who did this didn't necessarily set up this meeting to kill Amy. That's not the way this happens. What I would tell you, what I believe personally, this is my personal opinion, is the person that did this probably set this up 
because of an attraction to Amy, a sexual attraction to Amy. But what inevitably happens with these is obviously they don't go the way their minds had planned that to go, and all of a sudden it goes awry, and they end up killing the child. That's typically how these things go. And I don't think this person's any different. I really believe the person that did this didn't take her with the plan on killing her. I believe that. Um, so I would love to sit down with this person and, and talk with them, find out what was your motivation, what were you thinking, how did this happen, you know, um, Tell me the story. People want to know. It's about time to unburden yourself and let everybody know what happened. Amy's killer has remained at large for nearly 30 years, and it is about time that that freedom comes to an end. So if you do have any information, please share that information with the Bay Village Police. Thank you again for listening to this week's episode of Who Killed Amy Mihaljevic, and stay tuned for next week's episode, episode 14. If you enjoy this independently produced podcast, please help support independent journalism by clicking on the donate button on the bottom left of whokilledamymahalovic.com. You can also make a donation through the Venmo app with my username at bill-huffman-3. Any amount is appreciated, and thank you to the listeners that help keep this podcast going. You can also help support the show by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts because that will also help get the show the coverage it deserves. You can contact the Bay Village Police Department at 440-871-1234 if you have any new information. The FBI is also offering a reward up to $25,000 for information leading to the arrest and conviction of the individual or individuals responsible for the death of Amy Renee Mihaljevic. Anyone with information concerning this case, please contact the FBI at 1-800-CALL-FBI. Thank you again for listening, and be safe. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. True terrors of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events. On our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, 
offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there.